Megan, and welcome to episode four of Undressing Fashion, the first fashion and psychology podcast. Today, we're going to talk about something that many of us have very strong feelings about, shopping. Some of us love it, and some of us hate it. Some of us find it the ultimate form of therapy, while others think it's the definition of hell. Some of us shop only in store, some only online, and some like to do both. But all of us have to do it sooner or later. So we thought that we would dedicate an episode to talking about the psychology behind shopping and what it is that influences us to make the purchasing decisions that we do. Both Edit and I find this to be a very interesting topic. And in fact, we both did research projects related to understanding consumer behavior. Now that might seem like a bit of a scary term. So I think it's first important to explain what we mean by it. Consumer behavior simply refers to how we think and behave when we are acquiring goods or services. So it is only interested in our behavior within the specific context. It can be studied within the domain of, for example, behavioral economics or through consumer psychology, which is a new and developing field into which a lot of brands, businesses, and agencies are putting a lot of money in research. In fact, the business of fashion label consumer psychologists as one of their fashion careers of the future. While a lot of different topics can fall under the umbrella of consumer behavior, which I'm sure we'll be covering in future episodes, today we're going to be talking about the crux of it all, why we make purchasing decisions we make when we shop. And this is where the psychology comes into it. Decision-making has been studied by cognitive psychologists for decades. In fact, The psychological theories and principles that underlie our general decision-making can be applied to our shopping decision-making. So we're going to have to start at the beginning. What does psychology tell us about how we make decisions? Well, first of all, as might seem obvious, we know that decision-making never occurs in a vacuum. Our own viewpoints, outlooks, and our contexts, as well as the contexts of the decision, all affect the decision-making process. This means that decision-making can be affected both by the factors around us, like where we live or what products are available, as well as by our likes and dislikes and our experiences. Then, in looking at the actual thought process itself, psychological researchers propose that our decision-making is controlled by two different cognitive systems that work independently but can also depend on each other for guidance. The first system, which is called the experiential system, is involuntary, automatic, fast, used unconsciously, and ruled by problem-solving strategies called heuristics. These heuristics are developed through our experiences, which is why this is called the experiential system, and these heuristics essentially function as shortcuts that simplify complex judgments. They ignore portions of the presented information about the factors of a decision, which means that decisions can be made more quickly, frugally, or accurately than they would be through the use of more complex analytical methods. This might sound kind of abstract or confusing, so I'll give you an example of one of the many types of strategies that exist, which is called the availability heuristic. This strategy involves deciding how probable an event is at occurring by how easy it is to bring an example of that event to mind. A lot of people are scared of flying because they are worried that the plane they're in is going to crash, but they wouldn't be scared of getting in a car and going for a drive. Now this might seem illogical given that statistics show that car crashes are far more common than plane crashes, but when planes do crash, they are spoken about for days on the news and often come up in conversation. 
And so we're more likely to think of an example of them occurring. They're more accessible to us. Now, while this example may not make it seem like it, these heuristics can often be very effective and useful because they can help us make decisions very quickly and without too much thought. However, they can also lead to systematic mistakes and biases in our thoughts and behaviours, like the plane crash example. There are many different ones that apply to shopping specifically, and in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of these biases in more depth that relate specifically to shopping. So the first cognitive system, the experiential system, is governed by these judgments called heuristics and can lead to cognitive biases. The second cognitive system that controls our decision-making is quite different. It's called the analytic system, and it's slow and intentional, and it often needs us to use concentration and focus. It's used in more complex judgments than the experiential system, and it can even assess the heuristics that it uses. For a long time, most researchers assumed that all of our purchasing decisions were governed by this analytic system. They believed that we were giving a lot of thought to our shopping purchases, weighing up our options, and really figuring it out. But more recently, research has shown that this is frankly not often the case. This has a lot to do with the sheer amount of information and decisions that we're presented with every day, especially during shopping situations. We simply do not have the mental resources to handle all of it. It's just overwhelming. I mean, think about it. For every item in every category, from t-shirts to tents to toilet paper, there are different stores, different brands, different colors, and different kinds. Geez, I'm getting overwhelmed just talking about it. So in order to lessen the loads on our minds, we make many of our decisions through the use of experiential cognitive system and the shortcuts that it offers us. But it's not only heuristics that can help make our shopping decisions. Our emotions can often lead the way too. When our mental resources are limited, which as I just mentioned is often the case when we're shopping, we also tend to make our purchasing decisions based on the spontaneous emotion we get when we see or think about the product. Psychological theories on impulse buying are rooted in this principle, viewing a spontaneous positive emotion, like joy or happiness, as the cause of a sudden purchasing decision. As shown in patients with brain injuries, people rely on the emotional regions of the brain to act as an intuitive guide for making good decisions. But importantly, brain studies have also shown that patients with brain injuries in their amygdala and ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which are the brain areas that control emotion, for those of you who don't know the anatomy well, actually have reduced decision-making abilities. Now, all of this might not paint a pretty picture. I know. I would like to think that I have a good reason for buying everything that I buy. But of course, I want to make clear that we are not saying that we all only make decisions in this way. I'm sure everyone puts thoughts into many of their purchases, but the truth is that we're all susceptible to cognitive biases, and we all use these mental shortcuts at least every once in a while. And this is what a lot of advertising, marketing, and brands in general like to take advantage of. They do this by utilizing some of the cognitive biases that we will now discuss. Do you wonder what makes people buy items on sale, full price, or just in general? Well, there are many cognitive biases, but we're going to discuss three of the common ones. The anchor, scarcity, and the social proof cognitive bias, which is also known as the social informational influence bias. As we've said, cognitive biases are related to the heuristics which occur in the experiential cognitive system, where we rely on shortcuts to make decisions. 
But a heuristic becomes a cognitive bias when it is not an accurate decision and then results in error of judgment. Most heuristics are beneficial because there's an overwhelming number of stimuli to process and so we need shortcuts. But some of our shopping decisions can be informed by cognitive biases. We're going to discuss three covert and underlying variables in an effort to elucidate the motivations and reasons behind some of our fashion purchasing decisions. The anchor bias is a heuristic that determines an estimate by utilizing a starting or priming value that we're exposed to and then modifying this value to make a final decision, but not adjusting it adequately from the starting value. We've all been exposed to anchor values. Think of price drops where you see the original price on an item. Say it says the item was originally $50, but it has been reduced to 25. The higher value that you see, or the anchor, makes you believe that you are getting a good deal, whether you actually did or not. Hello, sales. <laughs> Another way pricing anchors are implemented can be seen on menus where there are expensive items near less expensive items, which may make you feel more inclined one way or the other. Or when a real estate agent shows you a typical price of a house in an area that you are looking, which exposes you to a price anchor early on in the search process. Another cognitive bias is the scarcity bias, which is a heuristic that refers to a person's inclination to desire an object that is scarce and limited in supply. People tend to use this heuristic as a way to judge the value of objects, but this often leads to a cognitive bias error when assessing the value and the quality of an object. A social psychologist, Robert Cialdini, went undercover on a covert observation to see how professionals in compliance and marketing fields persuade consumers. While he was undercover, he witnessed firsthand the usefulness of scarcity through limited supply, price promotions, and the importance of competition in influencing scarcity. People were more impacted by the potential to lose than to win, and the perceived value of a collectible or rare object. Building on this, research has shown that people believe that good quality products are located in the higher price bracket, and lower prices are often due to poor quality. But when the factor of scarcity is applied, they often believe that the product has a right to be more expensive even if the quality is poor. This cognitive bias can be seen in limited edition items and when items are selling out quickly. Some prevalent examples include limited edition collections and partnerships with specific brands, like when, Tar when Target or Primark partner with a designer for a collection. These collections are limited and sell out quickly. The NYC streetwear label Supreme has lines that go on for blocks when collections debut. Who remembers the Beanie Baby era? Those little stuffed animals by TY that were supposed to be worth a fortune one day. I personally tried to convince my parents to spend $1,000 on the royal blue elephant as I wouldn't have done anything for that rare commodity. I know, crazy, especially because now it is basically worth nothing as the value of items have decreased People desire what is rare, and this perceived value increases the prices regardless of the quality. A third cognitive bias is social proof, also known as social informational influence, as Aiden said, which describes the cognitive heuristic of emulating others when one does not know the adequate behavior and needs a frame of reference. There are a lot of products in the marketplace, especially in the fashion industry, and consumers can be overwhelmed with what to buy. They feel they need advice and expert opinions. I actually spoke about this in the last episode with John when we said that this is why people follow trends. A relevant example of this heuristic are social media influences. 
Business of Fashion came out with an article recently discussing the decline of media's control on the fashion industry and the increasing power of fashion influencers. With the rise of e-commerce sales, brands rely on and use fashion influencers as a means to advertise products. This strategy is supported by, da by data. Olapec surveyed 4,000 people who use social media. 75% said that fashion influencers possess the best material on Instagram over other platforms. Of the people surveyed, 31% of social media users in the US and UK had purchased a product after seeing it being advertised by an influencer. And nearly 50% have thought about purchasing a product after seeing an influencer's related product post. Social media influencers are spread across all industry fields as consumers crave expert and credible opinions on their future purchases. Fashion influencers are becoming coveted advertisements, and that is for one reason only. They possess the ability to influence consumers' opinions and decisions. These three cognitive biases are just some significant examples of how the advertising and marketing worlds influence consumers to purchase products. In future episodes, we will go into more depth about these and other specific biases and tie in actual research results. We just wanted to give an overview of shopping decision making and the biases that can drive our purchasing decisions. So how do we combat these psychological influences if they are often unconscious? And does this type of knowledge hold the key to unlocking the motivations and reasons for purchasing decisions that operate outside of consumers' conscious awareness? Although there is not much literature on combating these biases, some research has shown that when participants were asked to evaluate the prices carefully instead of deciding quickly, they were often less susceptible to priming anchors. Also, some literature has shown that System 2 processing can combat and decrease this bias that occurs in System 1, but it is rare because it has to do with self-awareness and it requires a conscious effort. Unfortunately, our emotions can often cause us to fall into the trap of being susceptible to cognitive biases. But maybe then it's a question of making sure that you're only shopping when you're in the right frame of mind and might be less likely to be influenced by your emotions. Clearly, being self-aware is the best way to combat these cognitive traps. And this is what we're trying to encourage through this episode and this podcast in general, that we become more aware about our relationship with fashion. are just gonna take a few minutes here to talk about how we've been influenced by cognitive biases or how really psychology has made us aware or how we've fallen into traps. For me personally, I have fallen into the scarcity one. I don't know if everyone has, but if someone tells me something's limited edition and I know there's 10 left, I will be the first one in line. I don't know if it's just when I was little, I used to also go, or not little, when I was young, I used to also always look for little boutiques so I could have unique clothing from oh, my absolutely. friends. Because I didn't want to have what everyone had. Like, there's a store in America when you're a teen, like a tween, when you're really little, like maybe 10 to 13, called Limited 2. And I had this friend in high school. Everything I got, she'd have the same one. And it would just, it would drive me nuts. And so I would, there's something about the way that something's rare, it goes into your identity to make you feel rare, to make you feel unique. And I still buy into that even though I know they can make more. They're choosing to do that to trick me. And it works. Absolutely. 
I mean, even just like the anchoring bias when when I learned about that for the first time and I discovered that brands purposefully put on like something that makes it look like it's on sale, even if it isn't actually to say this is worth this amount of money, but actually you can get it for this. I mean, I always fall for that. I think, wow, that's such a great deal. And even if you didn't need it, it'll still make you buy it because you think, wow, like, you know, I really should take this amazing opportunity, even if you didn't need it at all to begin with. Oh, and we also don't know what the cost of that actual item is, which is probably like a fourth of what the (laughs) full price of the retail. Like, for example, I really, I like to ski. And even though I'm probably not skiing anytime soon, (laughs) I keep looking, all these like brands have come out with like really interesting, like old ski outfits, like kind of 70s vibe, 80s vibe too. And I'm just like, oh, they're so expensive. Like if it's just 20% off, I'll buy it. It is still expensive. But the fact that I see that anchor, the fact that I see that anchor, I'm like, Completely. I mean, whenever we we often, if you subscribe to any mailing list for a shop or anything like that, you often get these emails saying like, flash sale, catch it, you know, while it lasts or whatever, but there's always something on sale. It doesn't mean that you need the item, but it convinces you that it does. I think it's called Outnet here, but there's one at home called Guilt. And every day at 12 p.m., you subscribe to certain brands. And they'll tell you if they're going to be on the flash sale that day. I can't tell you how many things I've bought from Gilt because it will be like a really nice like designer at 40% off. And I'm so sure a lot of times I've looked on the designer site and it's almost the same price at that time. They allow these prices to go down. Yeah. But because it's like it's 12 p.m., there's only a few, there's only a few items in each category. I'll be on that site. Totally. <laughs> and I mean, something like, Um, those subscription boxes you can get for makeup for example cosmetics you um birchbox yeah like birchbox for example nobody needs those products specifically but it's because it's a deal and because you're saving money on purchasing those items that you would never have purchased before you're getting a whole bunch of stuff that maybe you might like maybe you wouldn't um yeah, and there's probably another cognitive bias for that one. That's where it's like introducing you to oh, yeah. something at like a sample size where then you'll hopefully buy it. Yeah. And then the whole thing that I spoke about with fashion influencers. Absolutely. There's some that I follow that I follow their lifestyle because they become like a lifestyle brand that I think that is a combination of emotions and um, social proof. Definitely. It's, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of jealousy in there too, I'm yeah. sure. So if I see they're wearing something that looks really nice, mm-hmm. I'm probably more likely to buy it than seeing it on a random model or just in the store because they make it come to life. Completely. And I mean, with now a lot of social media influencers starting their own brands and their own companies where they're not only just marketing someone else's, but you're then purchasing into their lives actually by buying the clothes that they make or whatever it is that they're selling. And it makes you feel like, you know, you trust this person, you love the way that they look or they dress or they live or whatever it is. And by buying into it, then you get to be a little bit like them. Yeah, it's kind of what John said about how things, like there's tribes. Mm-hmm. And so you're almost like buying into a tribe of yeah. their lifestyle, even though you might not live any life similar to them or anything. But yeah, all this is really interesting because I people always ask me or just wonder in general, like, why do people buy things full price? People know why you buy things on sale. Well, they don't really know. We're teaching you about the anchor. <laughs> but that's why. But full price, I would think, has more to do with scarcity. 
um, has more to do with emotions yes. and more to do with like, what if that item does not go on sale? I can't tell you how many times I've asked the sales <laughs> associates, well, do you think there's going to be a sale soon? Like, don't worry, I won't tell anyone because I am so nervous it will go on sale and it won't be there in my size. So I think that plays into it as well. Absolutely. So now in future episodes, we're going to give you guys some more insight into our own research projects and the conclusions we came to. But we believe it was first important to understand the foundation before we delve any further into the research. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode, but we want to hear what you think. We'll obviously continue to interview guests, but we want to know if you also enjoy this kind of content and theory-heavy episodes. So please don't forget to rate and review. It's such a help to spread the word and get new listeners in. And thanks for listening. As we said, we'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram at UndressingFashion, and you can find us on Facebook under the same name too. So bye for now from Eden and Megan. Thanks for getting undressed with us. Mm-hmm.